0: Town has been, who's there to write to anyway?
1: Welcome to episode 10 of Gotham TV Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the upcoming Gotham
0: TV show starring Ben McKenzie and Donald Logue. I'm John, one of your hosts. And I'm Derek, your other host. Ten episodes in already, and we, all we've gotten is a, a three-minute trailer. <laughs> where we're, we're really running this one. Double figures. Like us. Absolutely.
1: It. I like us.
0: We'll be drinking in this podcast. <laughs> welcome back, everybody. Yes, we will be having a a, a slurp of celebratory uh, something. And we're returning back to
1: Gotham Central on this episode, um, the unresolved story arc issues 19 to 23.
0: Yeah, we'd mentioned uh, on the last podcast that we were looking to go back to Gotham Central and we got a bit of a bit of a, an excited response from some of our listeners, um we're really looking forward to returning to it. Um we in the last couple of Gotham Central podcasts we probably talked about a lot of arcs in one in one show. This time what we're going to do is cover one arc, which is as John said, the unresolved arc which forms four issues of the comic. Uh we're going to talk about that, but uh, I think first up we've got some news
1: So in Gotham news this week, with the full production and filming now in swing for the rest of Gotham, now that it's been taken off, um, there's more casting news starting to eke out from from the production. And so last week, Carol Kane uh, was cast as Gertrude Kappelputt, the mother of Oswald. Cobblepot. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a bit of a mouthful. It's um, um, <laughs> just trying Car- <laughs> a tongue
0: twister. That's all. Russian so, tongue twister.
1: Carol Kane is going to be starring in a reoccurring role for Gotham. She's an Oscar-nominated actress for Hester Street in 1975. So I wasn't born just then. A little, before, um, my little before my time, even. A little before my time. But she will make her debut in episode two of Gotham this autumn and is involved in the filming at the moment in New York. She's been described now
0: as being a proud mother with a faded beauty. I presume this is the character, not the actress, because I think (laughs) any actress, if you call her a faded beauty, wouldn't be hugely happy. This is
1: the character. Yeah, this is the character with then delusions of grandeur. Again, the character. Yeah, again, the character. And so I think this forms a an interesting addition to the Gotham TV show, what do you think?
0: Yeah, absolutely like, you know, it, it's, we we kind of thought that the that Oswald Cobblepot was out on his own and had um, was kind of being led astray by uh, by Fish Mooney and by some of the other creepy gangsters in, in the village or in the, t- in the town of Gotham, sorry um, and now we're being told that he has a mother that we never knew about, that uh, everybody has a mother, obviously, but, but that he has a mother who's waiting for him at home, you're going to see her in the second episode and she'll be a recurring character, so she's going to be Quite heavily involved in his storyline, I presume. I would say so, yeah. yeah. Hopefully she doesn't feed him
1: like uh, (laughs) female penguins do to their children (laughs) in the wild.
0: Yeah, Um, I don't think that that would be broadcast at (laughs) 8 o'clock at night in the US. (laughs) And, um,
1: yeah, no, it sounds like an interesting addition. She certainly knows her acting chops. Yeah, so Um, if you you don't
0: know Carol Kane, um, I suppose we should kind of give a little background. I wouldn't have recognized the name, I must admit, um, but she's very much a character actress that I've seen in many, many things. Particularly, I suppose, seen her in Scrooged, where she plays the crazy fairy who keeps punching Bill Murray in the nose, <laughs> which yeah. I always loved. Um, she was in Princess Bride, which is one
1: of uh, our perennial yeah. Christmas favourites, where she played Valerie, uh, and that Valerie was the wife to Billy Crystal's Miracle Max. So they're the ones in the heavy prosthetics. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, some of the films start popping out so when we kind of started looking into into her that they start popping out because it's films that we pretty much like, enjoy yeah. go back to, so that's it's a good feeling for me anyway at least um, and one of the other aspects that we shouldn't forget is this will be the second performance that she's done um, alongside um, Oswald Coppelpot or another Oswald Coppelpot yeah. I should say um, and she has performed alongside Danny DeVito in the TV series Taxi yeah. now it's yeah. not something I watched but she has done. And so this is her second cobblepot.
0: Yeah. I know it, it's kinda of, kinda of cool to be uh to be have have acted b- beside both of uh, both of the penguins over the years. That's really cool. Um we did put a little veiled uh veiled tweet picture up last week just uh just about this news because we we'd heard that she worked in taxi and just uh just put a little veiled joke tweet up there. So look look back on our Twitter account and you might see the one where we reference uh Danny DeVito and her working together.
1: Exactly. Um. And
0: then there was also
1: a bit more casting news that mm. came out, and it was announced that Kyle Massey has also been hired in a reoccurring role. Uh, Massey is going to play a neglected slash orphaned kid called Mackie, um, who lives on the streets of Gotham. He could be involved with the young Selena Kyle on mm. the streets um, if he's orphaned, if he's almost a street rat.
0: It's one of those things, I suppose. Like you know, the more characters they add here, the better it's going to be. You know, one of these, one of the kind of criticisms that a lot of people have been leveling at uh, at Gotham is that you get a young Selena Kyle and you get a young Bruce Wayne. Are they the only two young characters? As if they're going to be the only two that live in the entire city and they're going to see each other every week and have adventures together? You know, it's the good part about this is that it's kind of fleshing out the idea that she has her complete own society potentially. That having a young character like uh, like Mackie. That could be a friend of hers and they grow up yeah. together on the streets, you yeah. know. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Everywhere. And I suppose he would be known sort of to younger audiences for his work on the Disney Channel. And so he's got credits then in That's So Raven. Mm, Raven, Which I've S- never seen. Raven. Mm-hmm.
0: Raven Simone was in Cosby Show, I, 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 I well, and okay, I said, "I yeah. said, or we said, younger audiences." But I think uh, that show probably finished about five or six years ago. Well, exactly. Uh, but yeah.
1: it's interesting when you look at his picture. I actually thought it was a fully blown adult, yeah. and then it was describing him as an orphan and a kid on the streets called Mackie. Yeah. And then I was kind of like going, "Oh my god, is this a situation where?" Someone who looks really old for his time, or is it just the sh- the photo,
0: is the, the shot? Is he um, the Gary Coleman of our day, kind <laughs> of? Thing?
1: Maybe, but he was also in then Corey in the House, um, and he was also runner up in the
0: U.S. reality dancing show Dancing with the Stars. It's one that we don't get over here, but um, Dancing with the Stars, the the U.S. version, yeah. definitely definitely haven't watched it, but I do I do like the idea that we mentioned his connection with uh, with. Selena Kyle, I love the idea that she's a dancer and that he's also coming from Dancing with the Stars, so are we going to have a dance-off battle in episode could four? <laughs> I presume not. I presume the tone of the show wouldn't no allow for it. But you never know you, know. you never know. We could be completely wrong about how we think Gotham's going to go. Who knows? <laughs> the showrunners could have a mental breakdown and it
1: could go towards Batman 66.
0: Uh, maybe, maybe. Or it could go like uh, like Buffy went with a, a musical episode, which was probably the most well-received episode they ever had in their seven true. season run. Yeah.
1: So You never know. I I'm not too sure they could get away with it there on, on Gotham.
0: <laughs> maybe not Certainly season not one. how it's getting pitched. But. Yeah, maybe not season one, but you never know. So I suppose in, in, in the other big news for uh for Warner Brothers and for uh, for Warner Brothers TV and DC Entertainment, uh some news came out about Comic Con, which is uh which is being held in San Diego, uh, held every year in San Diego towards the end of July. Uh quite big news I think for, for us and, Definitely. For, and for any fans that are going to it. Lucky you. Um the biggest news I suppose that's come out, essentially, is that uh, Warner Brothers Tele- Television and DC Entertainment will host a full night dedicated to their TV programming coming out in the fall. Um, It'll be on Saturday the 26th of July. Three hours of events dedicated to their four big shows, which is Arrow, obviously, uh, Gotham, The Flash, and also Constantine. Constantine. Yeah, um, It's and- going to be hosted by
1: Stephen Amell, yeah. who stars as Oliver Queen on Arrow. And it's going to be... 8 to 11 p.m. on the Saturday of the 26th of July, as you said. Mm-hmm. So it's the full premiere of Gotham. There's the complete pilot screening of the Arrow spin-off, The Flash. There's going to be some exclusive footage of Episode One of Constantine, along then with some more exclusive footage of Season Three of
0: Arrow. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's
1: really cool if you're going. Plus a panel as yeah. well. There's going to be and many of the different casts and producers and directors from these shows uh, on this panel. Yeah,
0: yeah. I wanted to specifically read out the press release on some of this, because uh, just in case anybody gets too excited about it. So definitely Stephen Amell is is going to be emceeing for the night, was the exact phrase that was used. He's going to be doing the lead-ins, essentially, for each of them. He's going to be introducing people coming on board, but specific press release. So we know for definite the Gotham pilot's going to be shown. We know for definite the Flash pilot in full is going to be shown and then it's exclusive footage of Constantine and uh, season three of Arrow. Um, What they've said for the appearances of uh, cast and crew, they've said for Gotham, they'll have the full pilot followed by an appearance by cast and producers. The wording is very specific. The Flash, uh, they make a bit of a, Bad joke, so not my joke. Um, Full-length screening of the Flash pilot. <laughs> really? Cast and producers Are you will... sure this isn't one of yours? Uh, I'm certain it's not. <laughs> um, casters, cast and producers will stop running long enough to take the stage, <laughs> is the uh, the specific Flash piece. Oh, I love it. Um, Constantine... Um... It's going to scare you to death. <laughs> uh, no, just treated to a visit from the casting really? crew. Yeah, treat it to a visit. I would have used trick or treated a visit, maybe.
1: Yeah. <laughs> See, they hate
0: Constantine
1: already. I reckon, um, and I think that's a big mistake. I think because he can
0: call yeah.
1: call upon the powers of darkness to come and tell them off,
0: basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So it's a visit from the cast and creative team for that. Uh, oh dear. They do have another one. It's for Arrow, which is uh, the cast and producers taking on fans' most pointed questions. <laughs> uh, it's,
1: it's dreadful uh, but hilarious. You, you can't,
0: but not like it. But realistically the reason why I wanted to read out the specifics of what they were saying was that essentially the only one where they say they're taking on fans' questions is the Arrow okay. piece. I'm sure yeah. they're very, they're very well versed in dealing with uh, in dealing with fan questions at a huge event like this. Yeah, Steven Amell's going to be there anyway. Yeah. I would I would say you probably put the cast of Constantine and the cast of Flash up in front of a, a big audience. It may be easier to lead them into telling what's going to happen in the rest of the season, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, which maybe, is what they probably but, want to avoid. I mean, maybe, but I,
1: I never really get that because, I mean, these are people that have to learn, I don't know, however many pages off my heart oh, yeah. in their head stand on spots, uh, you know, do put some pretty complicated action sequences like they can retain information. No, I don't mean. I don't mean you, obviously. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, uh, it's like, it's <laughs> like, sure, it'd be great to hear from you know Matt Ryan. It'd be great <laughs> to hear from uh, Ben McKenzie, Donald Logue. Yeah. Definitely, uh, you know, even uh, Cameron Buchanan and uh, David Mazouz. It'd be great to see them and for them to just probably say how stoked they are to
0: to be involved
1: yeah. with, with Gotham.
0: Yeah, I know. We're really hoping to see, you know, at least at the very least, a full cast, uh, a full cast panel. I doubt it's going to be something like the Avengers panel where they all just walk out. I presume they're going to go out and have maybe, maybe preset questions for them. I doubt they're going to throw it open to the audience for and have a have a really long chat. Three hours sounds like a long time, but when you've got two pilots and two big sets of footage and a huge panel from Arrow coming along. Um, it's going to go pretty quickly, but uh, but we will be covering it as much as we can from this side of the ocean. We'll be covering everything that comes out of San Diego Comic-Con. So, um, so yeah, really excited to see that. But uh,
1: then in some less happy news surrounding
0: Gotham is
1: that the, the first boycott of Gotham has been announced, um, world exclusive. <laughs> um, Alan Brennert, um, who wrote seminal Batman story to kill a legend for DC... Um, I think it was issue five hundred in was it like Detective
0: Comics, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Detective ha- Comics, 500. yeah, Detective Comics five hundred, yeah. Um, has said that he's going to boycott the TV show, uh, essentially over a dispute about um equity, um, and payment I think isn't yeah. it is, you know, of royalties yeah. and so on um, um, it's
0: it's called equity payments is, yeah. is what's happened so so yeah so essentially it's it's Alan Brenner's and the artist of the book Dick Giordano um, they created the character Barbara Keane um, who's been I suppose is going to be played by Aaron Richards in the, in the TV show we've seen her in some of the trailers uh, what they maintain is they created her specifically for the, for the story that created Barbara Keane as the fiance for, um, for Jim Gordon and from then on the uh, Previously that she had never had a first name. She'd always been Mrs. Gordon. From then on, she'd been classed as Barbara Gordon. Um, so every so, the perception of uh, of Alan and of uh, Dick Giordano is they created the character and DC is going to be using it in a TV show. When that happens with most DC characters, they're much better about this than – in most cases, they're much better about this than Marvel are. When this happens, is generally a, an amount of money that's paid to the creator of those characters. Yeah, they've um,
1: got a good track record, haven't yeah. they, DC, on paying um, the the creators in that apart sense. Apart from the Bill Finger issue, um, the co-creator of Batman is still obviously uh, a hot topic.
0: Mm, absolutely. Um, but obviously we hope that it all gets resolved before the show starts and uh, and it's better for it. It sounds like it's going to be an interesting dynamic between Barbara Keane and, and Jim Gordon that hopefully they won't... Uh, that they won't have to lose Erin Richards, who seems like a really good actress.
1: Absolutely. Hmm. Well, hopefully not. And, yeah, as you say, it will all get resolved. Hmm. There'll be no boycotting here. think. <laughs> And then we have with DC Connected um, Universe news, Mm. which is it's a bit of a mouthful. It's a bit long, long, but it's the other part of our show. So so if anyone's got any ideas how we can phrase that differently, please. uh, DC in? (laughs) writing.
0: No, that's not. That's not
1: the best thing to write in about. But short. Clark's and chasing Amy director kevin smith he was recently linked to a very cia-esque type uh thing it had been said that he had written a phantom or a ghost script to throw the scent off those pesky russians Um <laughs> i mean of the batman versus superman uh film
0: yeah daniel butcher one of our listeners uh caught the story and sent it on to us and uh, thought we'd be interested in it um it's yeah it's 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 an amazing idea I think you were you were more disbelieving of this than I was um saying there's no way that a, that a marketing department would would money, hire would hire somebody to, uh, to write a script especially someone as prolific as Kevin Smith but the money would
1: have to be really really good to write something f- for no purpose Yeah yeah I um, mean I know that happens with writing where you you know you write ideas you write your um you know w- your idea, your story, and maybe it never gets to see the light of day yeah. with regards to being published or being filmed or whatever it might be. But yeah. that's because it's something out of passion, I kind of think. Maybe I'm yeah. thinking slightly um, romantically about writers and how they write, but this seems to me that, yeah, you would do it if the pay was was good enough.
0: Yeah, I think um, the reason why there's a lot of credence put on this story from... That it was Kevin Smith that had written it is because he wrote an unproduced script for, uh, for Superman many years ago, um, where he eventually quit on it because they were trying to force some uh, giant mechanical spiders into this into his story which had no connection to it at all. Yeah, um, but he was hired to was, do a script. But that's exactly it. So, so what they were saying was that they had hired him, told him that the, to write the script, and then said. Actually, we're not going to produce a script. We're going to use this as the decoy script so the fans don't catch on to what the real story is. So all this leaked draft was going to be deliberately put out there over the course of a year or so. Anyway, so that was the story. Kevin Smith took to Twitter this week to say, click here, go to my blog, and I'll tell you whether I wrote that script or not. Um, you might as well take the opportunity to, to use it to actually promote some projects. Uh, what he said is that he's, he's done five completed scripts last year. Uh, along with all the podcasts he does, along with all the live shows he's done, along with filming a a movie that's going to be coming out this year called Tusk, uh, there is no possible way he would have had an opportunity to write the script. As John says, if he did write a script, he'd be very hopeful that it was actually going to be used to make a film out of, rather than being used as a decoy script. Certainly as such a
1: big um, Batman uh, writer and and fan. you know. Uh, And just quickly, speaking of Kevin Smith, we went to see his podcast his mm-hmm. live podcast last week at vicar street in yep. dublin and it was brilliant uh, so little funny little. really funny it was an hour and a half on the button pretty much yep um but it was a great hour and a half really good fun yeah um, not, not something you
0: want to bring your yeah. kids to but uh but definitely good fun
1: <laughs> so i recommend that if you if you see kevin smith is coming to town in your area to do his live podcast with ralph garman yeah know. with ralph garman then definitely maybe consider attending it's really good fun yeah well worth it
0: but as i say don't bring the kids along uh, i think that's it for the news for this week Um, we've got some feedback i suppose to, to go through next
1: gothamites came out in full force today yeah so we received some uh feedback from one of our twitter followers elizabeth um, and she was basically saying how she really enjoyed the Gotham Central when she first read it um, and was really pleased to hear that you know we were about halfway through the series approximately you know around issue 20 and that um we were kind of really looking forward to going back to Gotham Central after the the Dark Knight Rises podcast the final one of the the Christopher Nolan Batman series uh, and she was saying that it was one of her best comics that she had really seen. She kind of made the point that you know, both Ed Brubacher and Greg Rooker, uh, Michael Lark as well, had to really fight to produce and write this story and these collections of different stories when, when they were writing and, and drawing. And they were standing up and defending it, um, essentially, until they got a whole load of different um, awards. And, um, and Elizabeth says, uh, you know, they, they stood up and defended it until the world caught up and all the awards came in. And we know that this series won an Eisner Award for mm. Half a Life, yeah. uh, which is one of the excellent um, story arcs within this series. Um and that this idea that, you know, it really touches on some very deep and real situations that occur in in Gotham. And actually, even though the presence of the Batman isn't there in the story, it's very informative about the Batman in Gotham and particularly about how the police, the detectives view him. And so, you know, she was really looking forward to, to um hearing the the gotham central podcast mm-hmm. um that we're doing now that we've done previously um, and and she made some really important points i thought that was really nice because it is a very different type of comic book series about gotham about batman than you would normally think of you know normally you would want batman you would want his sidekick whether it's mm-hmm. nightwing whether it's uh robin or the batman family um you want the big villain i mean you want joker obviously yeah. i get that but it adds another slant but it also informs a different
0: side of batman yeah, than absolutely. you would normally get and to me i think in, so far anyway it's it's very much informs a different side of comic books it's stuff that i've that i love reading I'm, i like a lot of independent comic books i love a lot of marvel love a lot of dc as well but I love a lot of independent comic books because they do the kind of things that Gotham Central particularly is doing. You know, you'd wonder what poor sales is for DC and why they would have, why they were considering cancelling at the time and why it was considered a, a, a bit of a failure at the time. And I wonder if that's something that, if an independent member producing it, um, as a, essentially a cop series with some fantastical elements to it, you wonder whether that would would have been considered quite a large success for an independent. You know. Um, what what would these sales need to be at the time to consider it quite a big book? You know? And
1: I th- I think within the the canon or within the, the publishing, it's seen as a bit of a classic. I think the sort of the tale around it being created by those main players, um, and then it winning sort of a number of awards for some of the really hard hitting um, story arcs that it's considered that sort of. The adversity of producing this in, in in a medium that potentially wants to have the you know it's the big superhero or the or it's the big character Batman fighting the um, the the big supervillain and this is a bit more nuanced than that um, in many respects it's very much more personal I think and nuanced this comic book. And it's more personal for characters that you would only have touched upon in a normal Batman uh, comic series to some extent. I'm not saying they totally ignore them in those, and certainly not some of the the more recent ones, but it is. Obviously, the the spotlight is on Batman, the Batman family, Mm -hmm. Alfred, and then the adversary
0: that he's up against, the supervillain. Yeah. But they took the interesting step of even with the Gotham Central characters that most people would know, which is Jim Gordon, and other people may know, which is Harvey Bullock, they essentially removed them from the series. So, you know, even your lead in characters that could potentially play a part, they're not they don't play a part in the first eighteen issues or seventeen yeah, exactly. issues that we that we looked or at. Or minor so parts. Very minor parts. Or they're parts, so. touched upon. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Um so I mean it's a really interesting point that um, Elizabeth makes and I think we've said from the start that we've really enjoyed the issues and i think they've been quite hard hitting in some mm-hmm. cases and and bringing up certain issues that are you know are good for the medium to show that it can address that it can touch upon those again i think that's why we've come back to it after a, a little break from them yeah. um and we we're, we're looking forward now to getting our teeth stuck into the the unresolved story arc. Yeah, yeah, and
0: thanks, Elizabeth, for getting in contact yeah, with us. thank we've had, you. We've had some great chats on Twitter actually with some of uh, some of the followers and some of the people that we're following. So we're uh, that's a great medium. Get on to Twitter and, and look for Gotham TV podcast and join us in those in those discussions. If you don't like Twitter, because some people don't, get out to Facebook. Like, uh, yeah, like join our there. Facebook page and um, like us yeah. uh, and comment on any of the posts that we put up. Yeah, much like uh, much like our friend Daniel Butcher, um, who's. Co-host of Welcome to Level Seven podcast, or another of the two hosts so. of Welcome to Level Seven podcast. He he likes to uh, likes to comment on our posts as he uh, as he listens. So um, so always fun seeing his seeing his feedback as he goes. Really good, yeah. Um, so but one of the one of the pieces of feedback that he's sent into us is uh is an interesting topic for discussion. So I think he's gonna enter our little hat for uh for the. The picture of the penguin from Matthew Fletcher that we still have yes. up for up for grabs. And Daniel is finally now in the hat for this.
1: Yeah, after huge amounts of comments, I'm sure he may have been in the hat previously. We'll have
0: to just look at the hat and see what's in there because we have yeah. been, we have been writing them down. We've
1: been writing names down and putting them in an actual hat. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, we'll have to look. I think and he might
0: be in there twice, which won't be particularly fair on right. any of the others. We will have a look. We said they'll the enter once, so we'll have a look and make sure. But he's definitely in the hat yeah, from this. from this, Definitely. Let's, let's say that. So Daniel's question on Facebook was posed like this, essentially. This morning, Daniel treated himself to Ostrander and Yale Deadshot miniseries. Reinforced for me, despite Bats not being in the story, that Deadshot is a Batman rogue and a great one for something like Gotham. But Arrow already has a version of Deadshot. Here's my question, says Daniel. All right, here you go, John. Um, do you think that Deadshot would be a good addition to Gotham? If Gotham Gotham was to include Deadshot, would they include the same actor as Arrow did? And do you think it's even possible to include Deadshot since they're on different networks?
1: So, yeah. okay, yeah, no, that's, that, that's a really
0: good question. Absolutely. Um, I kind of want to take them in reverse a bit. Okay, so firstly, do you think it's even possible to include Deadshot since they're on different networks? I would say yes. I think... Expand.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, one of the the main things that, unlike Marvel, which, because of circumstances, sold a number of its different properties to different Mm organisations, whether it be Sony Entertainment, whether it be to Fox and so on, DC essentially got bought up by... Warner Brothers at some point in its history. Yeah. I don't know quite yeah. when. They form part um, of uh, and They Brothers. form part of the Warner Brothers group. Mm-hmm. And so, essentially, Warner Brothers has control over all its properties, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I think even down to sort of offshoots of DC, like Vertigo. So, DC's in a slightly different position in that I think they could quite easily say, well, okay, yeah, Deadshot appeared in Arrow, we don't see any reason why he can't travel to Gotham City in the same universe and appear in Gotham. Mm. In the same way that with Flash and Arrow, you have Starling City and you have Central City and you have seen those two guys moving between those different cities. Mm. So it's perfectly possible. It's a different contract. He's known as an assassin, as a sniper. Mm. It could be that it's a different contract. Of course.
0: The big thing is that Starling City and Central City are definitely in the same universe. They're both in the same channel. They both have the same actors going back and forth. Gotham is on a different channel. You're right, though. That doesn't make a difference to the Warner Brothers television and DC entertainment elements of the show. They're produced and sold to Fox. At San Diego Comic-Con, you're going to see all this cast sitting on the same same tables beside each other potentially or behind back back behind stages are all going to be talking to each other and sitting with each other. No reason why you can't do crossovers. The one thing I will say though and might address the question no spoilers for Arrow because we haven't finished it uh, season 2 yet. No spoilers for it but if the arc that happens in Arrow affects the character it's most likely that they're not going to use the same actor so for example and again I don't know how the arc finishes but for example if he loses a leg on Arrow as that actor (laughs) Or loses an arm, will he turn up on Gotham with exactly the same character as he did on, on Arrow? I think that's unlikely. But like I think Ironside. Maybe. Like Ironside. Yeah, he'll turn up in a wheelchair on uh, on Gotham. <laughs> yeah. But do you know what I mean? I think that's I think that's the other question. So, will they retain the character and characteristics from Arrow and bring it over to?
1: Gotham? I don't know about that. I think they potentially have to be careful how they treat the character mm. across all their properties. And Inferno again and some in some cases you could actually argue that dc haven't treated their properties um in the best way that or in the most appropriate way arguably depending on your perspective yeah. previously yeah. i kind of in my head i'm thinking of green lantern film mm-hmm. for example where anything was thrown at that film and you know in a sense, a bit to the detriment of the character of the Greenland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay, you might get rehabilitated in the this whole sort of movie list that's be, that came out um, from Nicky Fink that we talked yeah, about in about the last last week. last week. Yeah, but I think it's I think DC has been used to allowing its characters much more freedom within their universe to to appear on different mediums. I don't see why they wouldn't appear on different networks. I think as well that it, they
0: might not use the same actor though. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's probably the way they go. He probably use the same character. I think DC probably understands. They don't have they haven't built that fan base up on their TV and movie properties. They haven't built it up yet that everybody's watching every single element of all their TV shows and all their movies and they're going to complain that a character's been used differently on different in different places. So, for example, they've already had Smallville, an eight-season an eight season TV show, and Superman Returns, starring two different actors as Clark Kent at exactly the same time, and nobody patted an eyelid, you know? Hmm. Um, so that's the way they seem to be approaching things generally, but they may change that in the future.
1: Maybe, but I think, again, it, it's bringing it to that Marvel and DC question and comparing them and saying that one is doing... better than another which is maybe not necessarily true i mean i think the point say for example with what's happened over ant-man with um edgar wright having spent what last five to eight years Mm. writing a script is that it has to fit that universe so those one-offs or whatever um or maybe quirky things or going down a different tack or a different tone Mm. I mean, can you imagine if DC were locked into the Joel Schumacher version of Batman Absolutely. that they had to do it that way from there on in? I yeah. mean, of course, that makes no sense. Marvel have done it from a umbrella sort of overview, but they're doing it with obviously <laughs> slightly different there. perspective and a different set of class than <laughs> the Joel Schumacher films were were created. Yeah, yeah. But my point is, is that I think DC hasn't necessarily got that root or that rule in place maybe that's in- gonna increasingly happen but i don't see why they wouldn't and then i think to f- answer the final question it would be i think it would be really good for gotham to have a version of deadshot and um, in some way it could be deathstroke or or something like that you know that idea of an assassin on the rampage of this city sort of descending into chaos that's spiraling out of control of the authorities and the police um, and that it's essentially in some ways a gang war and you've hired
0: an assassin Absolutely. and a having, having a contract killer in the city is always going to be interesting. We saw how interesting it was when they had a character like that in Gotham Central. Um, you know, having a exactly. having a sniper in there, you know. Um, yeah, really good. It's just one other point that, that, that uh, Daniel goes on to make. He says um, Katana has just been announced for Arrow for Season 3, which... Uh, which is another character in the, in the Batman rogues gallery. He kind of thinks of her as of being a Batman side of the of the fence rather than a Gotham Arrow family member. Sorry, a Green Arrow family member, not a Gotham Arrow family member, obviously. So could Arrow's tendency as a TV show to throw everything DC against the wall, so to take every single character within DC of a certain type, could it hurt Gotham and other DC properties? Now... Because this is the
1: other side of the coin, in a sense, yeah. um, what Daniel's saying here. And yes, it, it could hurt Gotham. I mean, there was the talk that Harley Quinn was going to appear, or there was Harley Quinn within Arrow. Hmm. Um, in a sense, there's no need for her to be there. Um, they can use other um, characters. Hmm. That's not to say that she can't be, but maybe in the scheme of things, she would be best placed in a city or a, a franchise like Gotham, yeah, because maybe. of the huge association um,
0: there with the Joker. Maybe, but, no, but Harley was actually a character created for the for the animated series in in 1992. She wasn't actually a comic book character. She was created for the Bat, for the Batman animated series and translated into the comic books and has a rich history there there now. But has become her own character in her own right. So I can understand how they take characters like that, particularly now that Gotham is saying that it's being set. Twenty, thirty years before Batman and before Joker, but other stuff like taking Nightwing and putting him in, uh, putting him in uh, in Arrow is a bit, it's a bit weird. But you know, at the end of the day, back on the history, essentially there was a Batman. He was a, a rich playboy back to the sixties, back to the forties. He was a rich playboy who you know had all this money, ran around the city, became a very popular character. Green Arrow was an, in effect created. As another billionaire playboy who has who can buy all the toys but doesn't have any superpowers, and um, there are huge similarities between those two characters. If you want a Batman TV show right now, go watch Arrow. It's a, yeah. it's a really good Batman TV Absolutely. show. Absolutely, I love the character of Arrow. Don't get me wrong, I love Oliver Queen and love there. I love the interplay between all the characters. I'm really enjoying the show now. Um, but it is really very similar to Batman, and they've really drawn on the Batman Rogues Gallery and the Batman background to create Arrow as good as it is now, and as good as it's getting in Season 3. I also think it's important that now that
1: the TV schedule, essentially from this autumn, will have four DC properties on it, maybe five with iZombie, although that does seem to have gotten quite quiet. Mm. The thing is, for the last two seasons worth of TV, it was Arrow and it was Arrow alone, and they obviously brought in Grant Gustin into Season 2, of Arrow, and there was maybe a bit more freedom as to what they could do. I think the schedule on TV with DC Properties is obviously now getting congested isn't the right word. Mm-hmm. My point is is that there's more of them. Definitely. And so they've now got to maybe just be a bit more strategic about who they introduce and what they start doing. And in mm-hmm. that sense, I think I would agree with what um, Daniel is saying, which is that there is the potential to hurt other um, properties that DC will have on TV, mm-hmm. and that includes the Flash, and that includes um, potentially Constantine and
0: Gotham, yeah. depending on what characters they choose to do. I, and I do um, think, in the same way, I think it can hurt Arrow as well, because Arrow may not have the same characters to draw upon. That, uh, that exactly, I it works but both ways. I, I suppose, in, in my head, the way I look at it is probably that the that the shows are quite. Are quite different shows, you know. It's quite possible that you go, All right, well, the criminal masterminds, the criminal underground or underworld are going to be safe for Gotham, the superheroes, super powered ones, are going to be safe for Flash. The yeah, because d- you've got Atom that's um being cast there with Brandon Rose, Brandon Rose, yes, Superman is going to be completely in Flash, which forgot we can... about in the news. Which we're so, here needs.
1: you go in feedback, we have. Um a bit of news that we've got to talk about, which is that Brandon Ruth
0: is going to play the Atom in Arrow. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really and it's a really an interesting story to come from Superman to becoming the Atom. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it's pretty uh it's pretty cool for him to, to be st- to be still around and be still looking as cool as he does to be able to play superheroes like this. It's awesome. Um, but I, I think generally, yeah, now that there's
1: four DC properties on TV, I would say there has to be some consideration of which characters appear on which TV show and how they do. Obviously, The Flash, The Arrow are at the same time. They're in the same period of time. Gotham is within that universe, but it's a different period of time, I think. That's the way it feels to me, Hmm. is that it's at, at a different time. And Constantine essentially is a different theme. It's a different subject matter and draws from the mystical uh, and magical characters of, of the DC property. Yep, so maybe true. there's room enough given the differences in time of when they're being um of of when they're supposed to be and obviously the different themes for for some of them. Yeah, totally agree and you know
0: it can't really be overstated that it is till Warner Brothers Television and DC Entertainment that make all of these shows and sell them essentially to each of the networks. Jeff Johns is a guiding hand for all of these shows. So everybody know they know what's going on before we do. I'm sure they know they have a plan of how they're going to use their their characters. Um, thanks for that, Daniel. You got a good old, a good old chat out of us there. Thanks very much. And you you're placing the hat as well deserved. Uh, so if anybody else has any feedback, um, go to our Facebook page, pop on. We pop up stories about about all the news that's going on every yep. every day. Like of days. us and follow us there on Facebook. Yeah. Comment. Um, on anything that we
1: put up, that, right. that's perfect.
0: We're generally pretty quick at getting back, and so are the other people that, that, uh, that follow our stuff. So you can well.
1: view us as well on Google+, Plus, and yep. also um, you can like us and follow us on Google+, Plus as well.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So, I think with that, we can move on to the review. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Gotham Central Unresolved.
0: And for the second week in a row, we need a breaking news klaxon. It's getting ridiculous. We should actually
1: put a sound effect in, I reckon.
0: I think so. I yeah. think so. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt right now, but we've been informed of some breaking news uh, here in Gotham. Yeah, and this week, even bigger news. The premiere date of Gotham has been announced. For? September 22nd.
1: Monday. So yeah. that's a Monday. Drum roll. We get uh, the premiere.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Americans get the premiere. Well, the the Amer- Am- or, yeah. All we are. need
1: now is for... Ireland and the UK and for Europe to, to get their skates on and start actually saying who's going to broadcast it for a start, and then when they're going to broadcast it.
0: Yeah. European broadcasters aren't as good at, the, uh, at this game of, uh, of, I suppose, teasing shows. They don't generally tell people months in advance that the show is going to premiere or anything like that. That's true. But it's pretty likely that if it's airing in the US on the twenty second of September, that hopefully we'll get it within the same week. Yeah, I mean,
1: the whole thing in the US, it's much more of an event, like where you have the upfronts and you have that, and it's all very highly Mm publicised, whereas you could be eating your your Sunday roast in front of the TV, or you could have just finished your Sunday roast and you could go down to to watch Doctor Who, and then all of a sudden there'll be something that there's a Christmas special for Sherlock or something (laughs) like that is... They just keep it totally under wraps until the very last moment, until they've got some kind of little TV teas to
0: show everyone. Yeah. so yeah, that's yeah. great news. Though. So brilliant, brilliant news. news. So we know when we know when it's coming. It's coming just into uh, September twenty second. Really looking forward to it. So I think it's the uh, they've confirmed officially. It's the lead in for the premiere to uh, Sleepy Hollow, which is quite a popular show on Fox. So um, so hopefully it will get a bit of that audience as well, and, uh, and keep going through uh, for many many seasons.
1: Yeah, let's hope that it. Gets a season two, even though we haven't yet seen a season one. (laughs)
0: Um, Really looking forward to, to seeing the premiere. Yeah. And with that, back to our review of Gotham Central Unresolved.
1: Okay, so welcome uh, back to Gotham Central. Uh, we're here on issues 19 to 23 of the 40-issue comic series Gotham Central. Um, the particular story arc is unresolved, and the story is by Ed Brubaker, and the art is by Michael Lark and Stefano Guardino. As a brief synopsis of this story arc, issues 19 to 23... The fallout from soft targets, the issue with the Joker, um, still looms heavy over the members of the GCPD, and in particular the members of the Major Crimes Unit, the MCU, um, especially for Romy Chandler and Marcus Driver. However, after a hostage situation where an old cold case involving... The brutal attack on the Gotham High School baseball team is re-examined. It brings old colleagues and acquaintances back together, and with them their grudges, issues, rivalries, and big reputations. It also draws a dangerous criminal from down in the rabbit hole of Arkham Asylum and his unexpected accomplice into the proceedings. It ultimately leads to the answers surrounding the old cold case and the... Hawks baseball team bombing.
0: Hmm. I like what you did there. Um from here on in as usual there will be spoilers uh, we'll be talking through Gotham Central uh, all the characters all the all the arc so right here if you're uh, if you haven't read this arc of Gotham Central go get it it's um spoilers it's really good. Um but yeah that's uh, that's the overall synopsis of of where we are. So we start out with um with detective Marcus Driver and uh, and Josie McDonald who are now partnered up in this in this uh this story arc. They haven't been partnered up before.
1: Um, no, they haven't. Mm-hmm. Essentially, uh, Marcus Driver's uh, previous partner, right back in the day, was um, killed by Dr. Freeze. This is going yeah. back to issue one back now. To issue one, yeah. um, he was involved briefly with Romy Chandler, mm-hmm. but she was partnered up with a detective, Nate Patton. That's right. Um, and essentially, what's happened is that both these um, two detectives, both. Chandler and Driver have both lost partners and both of them in essence blame the Batman here. They both have that commonality and this forms kind of a a, a small part of the storyline which is that part of the storyline that again, it feeds from the previous events in the other comics, mm. in particular the soft targets with the Joker where essentially uh, Nate Patton was blown up and um, But uh, Angie Molina, who was a reporter who was being held hostage by the Joker in this department stall that was threatened with being blown up, was saved by the Batman. But Detective Nate Patton wasn't. And so for Romy Chandler, this is something she cannot make head and a tail of why he died and she survived. And for Driver, there's an empathy there because, again, his partner died from one of these freaks who he blames on. Coming out there, and that's Dr. Freeze, uh, he blames for their presence on the streets. A bit like the idea from the Christopher Nolan films that you know you put on a bat suit, you, you heighten what comes next from the criminal side of things. Absolutely. In that case, it was the Joker. In this case, for Marcus Driver's personal situation, it was Dr. Mr. Freeze. And so both of them have seen um sorry mr freeze i keep always a
0: phd I well, that's
1: because he works in a lab um, and <laughs> i mean
0: he's a doctor of water which you love
1: yeah well exactly <laughs> okay um <laughs> you know an ice so mm-hmm. yeah i keep calling him doctor freeze i mean mr freeze yeah. he was a doctor he worked in a laboratory i true. think Um true so i always have that in my head but so they both have this empathy and essentially then Marcus Driver now gets teamed up with Josie MacDonald there in this situation.
0: Yeah, and as you say, this plays off all, a, a lot of the previous issues. It's very much, you can't just jump in and grab, you know, an arc of an arc of Gotham Central by, by everything we've read so far. It's very much every arc. There's an arc there, which is a, a collection of a couple of issues, but the previous issues do play a huge part into the characters and, and their setups, essentially. And what we're seeing now in, in the comics is, they're starting to do it previously on Gotham Central to catch everybody up. Um, it's exactly. Something, yeah, it's something that that they do at the start of each arc, catch everybody up to where we're where we are, um, and talk about where all these characters have come from and where they're, where their, I suppose, where their motivations have come from and what's, what's driving them. But essentially, yeah, we have we have Marcus Driver paired up with uh, with Josie McDonald. The last we saw of her, she was paired up with Christmas Allen. Yeah. Christmas was treating her pretty poorly while Renamon Montoya was off on. Uh, on sick leave. Um.
1: Yeah, after the events of Half-A-Life. Mm-hmm. So what we find is uh, we're thrown into a hostage situation at a, a burger joint. Um, driver is specifically requested to to attend, whilst his old partner is still obviously um, in, reco- in recovery and grieving for the death of her lover, essentially, yeah. uh, Nate Patton, um, after soft targets. Him and Josie MacDonald go there to deal with this hostage situation. And uh, Driver essentially knows the the person that's taken um, all these people hostage. Uh, It's a guy called Kenny Booker, and he's a friend of his brother's. He's not seen him in 10 years, or so he thinks. But actually it transpires that Kenny had seen him around New Year's and Christmas when Soft Targets was going on, but... Driver has essentially ignored him. Yeah. And in a sense, this is Kenny trying to bring Driver out, and that's why he's requested. From
0: him. Yeah, I love this little idea here. You know, essentially that Kenny has spent years trying to tell anybody that would listen to him that the voices in his head made him do it. And essentially he drags Marcus Driver into the hostage situation just to tell him one final time before he ends his own life. It was the voices in my head that made me do it. I didn't kill these people. Which sounds crazy to Marcus until they start to investigate. Yeah, he's it. coming across as really
1: crazy. You know, shut the, the this man off. It that's in my head. He won't stop. The little man made me do it. Driver's kind of going, do what? And he's like, the team. And this is where we begin to 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 find out, or Driver begins to realize that Kenny Booker, who was himself also at the baseball team bombing mm-hmm. the Hawks, uh, baseball team from Gotham. City High, um, that Kenny had gone in and used the pipe bomb to blow up the whole team. Yeah. This kind of sickening violence towards high school students. But they were a big game. It was a big college baseball team. They were top of their league. Um, and, and this comes out to play later on in, in, in the comic book. Kenny was one of those victims of, of the, the Hawks baseball team.
0: Yeah, but with Kenny's announcement essentially a proclamation that he's not the one that did it even though that even though he'd never been accused of it in the past he got away with it he got released there was always the thought that he was responsible for it Kenny confirms that that he's that he was the one responsible but that the voices in his head made him do it. Yeah. With this with this assertion it leads to Marcus and and Josie looking into the case again and opening up an old case that hasn't been opened in 10 years.
1: Yeah, and the case is known as the locker room bombing. Um And it's also eight years, so he's had these voices in his head for eight years. No wonder he's gone crazy. Mm -hmm. But it ends with him blowing his brains out Mm -hmm. in the burger joint right in front of Marcus Driver. And it's one of these things that, you know, some really interesting themes that these comic books throw up. Um, And it's only a a small remark. It's only a small panel. And it's just where Marcus Driver mentions to Joe's he goes... I didn't really like the kid that much. Him and my brother were essentially douchebags. They, I didn't like them. They got on my, my nerves. He says, I'm kind of numb to this now. He, once he'd killed himself, yeah, I wish he hadn't done it. No one should have done that. No one deserved that. But now it's just another number. I've become yeah. numb to this kind of violence that's going on. And it's really interesting that they bring that Bring that out. I think one of the other things then that we see, which is really important for Romy Chandler's sort of brief storyline, is that you see when the locker room bombing is being discussed again in the news because of this hostage situation, that the the reporter that was held hostage by the Joker in Soft Target, uh, Angie Molina, she's on a media whirlwind tour. She's an ex reporter now. She's written a book. Um, And this book is called Jingle Hell. It's terrible. (laughs) Dreadful, but really... (laughs) You you look at some of the details of these panels, it's really... I mean, yeah, cheesy but funny title. Jingle Hell by ex-reporter Angie Molina. And this is another aspect that is kind of cut to and runs through these four issues, is this growing resentment of Romy
0: Chandler to Angie Molina for for all of this yeah and let, let's talk about it. i think i think there's some great uh, some great scenes that they have um with with Romy coming to terms with this and where she dives into the book signing with Angie Melina and says i want to have a talk to you they go off to a cafe you we as the as the reader get the perspective from the outside we don't even hear what they're saying to each other and it's played it played out really well in the artwork you can tell that whatever has been said between the two of them um the, report, the former reporter, Melina, is, in is now... Yeah, she's, she's losing it. She's, she's Her
1: head's in her hands. She's obviously crying her eyes out. Yeah. Um, and o- the only bit of writing that you, you see on these is another conversation taking place in another place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's between Driver uh, and okay. Josie uh, about an old cop. And it, it, that is really, really yeah, interesting.
0: It's really, really, really good. Uh, really like it, but you know as as we said, Marcus and Josie are investigating the case again. I love the this element that comes into Gotham Central quite quite regularly uh while they're investigating the case, they find out that some some of the evidence is missing some of the um some of the evidence is not put in the right place, and some of the actual case file is gone that the full case file has been taken by the former person that worked on the case and who's that?
1: We find out that the former case owner for this locker room bombing was none other than. Harvey Bullock. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was
1: going to say Harvey Dent. Then. No,
0: no, Harvey Bullock. <laughs> yeah, Detective Harvey Bullock, who was forced to to retire from the force, and essentially after after uh, taking vengeance on the person that put uh, put Jim Gordon into the hospital. Harvey Bullock did something that most cops wouldn't do, and and got the punishment for it. It was forced to retire from the force because of it.
1: And then there's also another find as well down in the evidence room and the the storage for. All the boxes filled with evidence and it's Josie that makes the find and find Kenny Booker's baseball cap. And in it they come across a really unusual tag. Um, and immediately this is suggestive of the, the Mad Hatter.
0: Yeah, they instantly recognise that the tag that's got it spots, ten six, isn't it? They've got that little tag on there and they find that, that inside the hat and it's instantly reminiscent of Mad Hatter. Yeah, it's uh, in the style
1: 10 over 6. Yeah, which is, which is from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's instantly recognizable as Mad Hatter's kind of signature, really. But with the case files with Harvey Bullock, um, both Driver and MacDonald decide to go and track him down. And surprise, surprise, they find one of the, the big divisive personalities of the major crimes unit. Surprisingly, in a bar at mm-hmm. 2.30 in the
0: afternoon, mm-hmm. having a few drinks. Regaling the par- bartender with probably the same story for the hundredth time of uh, of what happened to him when he was on the force kind of thing. You know, he'll never leave. He's a, he's a force man for life, even though he's been kicked out or retired, uh, prematurely retired. This is one of the big characters
1: of Gotham Central, even though this is the first time we get to see him. Mm-hmm. You get snippets of his back history all the way through. Yeah. And to be honest because we're excited about gotham this autumn i was excited about seeing harvey bullock on the page and um, to see this character sort of the old school um do anything for a confession type of character Um really really fine sort of art as well giving him a grizzled sort
0: of kind of almost down-and-out type of look, really hard on his look. You can smell the whiskey off him just on the page. You really can. It's it's really good. He's a really divisive character within the rest of the issues, really divisive between all the major crimes units. They all used to work with him at some point and all have an opinion about what he did and why he's been kicked off the force. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting. And he has that history with the
1: GCPD. You know, we're treated to this story about... um, to get a confession out of a guy, they chuck him in the back of the, the, the boot of the car, the mm-hmm. trunk of the car, fire shots into the trunk. Essentially, the guy soils himself in the trunk, and they can't get that smell out. So he changes the car <laughs> with um, a car from Vice, <laughs> and they're wondering what the hell this stink, this stink is. Yeah. In the back of the
0: car, exactly, and they're saying that nobody in vice can get a conviction there because of the smell, and no, no, none of the other drug dealers in the in the area will come near the car. <laughs> none of the none of the hookers in the area will come near the car because of the smell that's left behind. So that's another legacy left behind by Harvey Bullock. <laughs> Great little story. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things that you start to get to the feel
1: for Harvey Bullock. This idea that he's a by any means possible kind of guy. The the methods justify the means in all cases even though to other detectives that's not going to be the case as well. And so you get this real important character trait that he is a divisive person. Mm -hmm. Um, He divides other people in their opinion of him, um, whether he has done the right thing, even though the end result may be what everyone was working towards. Um, And that comes back then to the, Obviously, the Jim Gordon tale that you mentioned before, being shot, but essentially getting justice for Jim Gordon yeah. by having ultimately the other person caught by the mob and killed, mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly. But he becomes a divisive figure, yeah. um, and maybe part of the reason why he's let go.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely the reason he's been been retired from the uh, from the force. I do like the idea that he has that it's you know it's eight years gone gone by since this uh, particular on. Resolved case happened, um. But he still says this is my case. This is the this is the case that uh, that I didn't resolve. I was the the officer in charge at the time. There's no way you're taking this away from me. He says to Marcus, you know, this is mine. This is totally something that I'm still going to work on. If you have new evidence, you bring it to me, as if I'm still the officer in charge. Okay. And this plays out across the
1: whole of these
0: four story
1: arcs, mm-hmm. um, that it's his case. In a sense, he's a bit like with Kenny Booker it's driven him crazy with Kenny it was the voices in the head for for Harvey Dent he kind of says you know, he had to break it to the parents he was one of the first people in he saw the scene he mm-hmm. saw the chaos the the gore of, of the bombing and it haunts him and it haunts him even more that he never caught the person responsible for it and yeah. that has eaten at him eaten at him to the point where you could argue he's in a bar at 2.30 p.m. It's a little late, don't you think? I think he should
0: be in there about 11 o'clock just as it opens. There's still a bit of hope for him. But Despite wanting to keep the case himself and keep working on it himself, um, he essentially gives them some help. He gives them back the case file and lets them look through it and shares the two leads they had at the time. Yeah, the two kind of big theories that he was kind of
1: uh, checking out, investigating. And first one essentially involved gambling rackets um you know this team was incredibly successful i suppose you could argue it's kind of on a similar level to maybe college football yeah it's like it's um, high school baseball yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's really um essentially big crowds big stakes mm-hmm. and that there were gotham gambling rackets involved um, and that two guys from the actual team i think it was the shortstop and the pitcher i don't know if i've got that right but <laughs> making um sort of big financial deposits into their savings there's a lot riding on the game and of course it is gotham Mm -hmm. now
0: everybody even the local high school
1: baseball team is corrupt Yeah. yeah like i mean Josie seems suspicious of this that the it seems a bit like overkill for um a you know a loss in gambling but you know is it we know that the colombian goalkeeper what 20 years ago was it or 10 years ago after he let a penalty in one of the world cups he got killed mm-hmm. i mean i know it's slightly higher stakes but um not that it justifies it because but uh, yeah people get very wound up over sports and losing large amounts of money when they bet and gamble on it so mm-hmm. um that was one of his first theories was this sort of gambling racket in gotham so lost loads of money and decided to extract a revenge by killing them all. Mm-hmm. The second theory was was these computer guys from the school, these geeks who liked computer games, uh, coding and all this kind of thing, that uh, they were getting tortured by a member of the team at the funerals of the dead baseball team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were laughing. Uh, pointing. They had sort of sought to extract some kind of revenge. This, The idea of the revenge of the nerds essentially yeah. on the jocks and this is kind of how it's sort of put by by Harvey Bullock. Um, but he kind of goes that that for him was never more than a suspicion. For him, the main theory that he had credence in was the gambling racket. And Driver and Josie then share their evidence of the Mad Hatter's tag with Harvey Bullock, and they start to then think, well, maybe this fits with some of Bullock's theories, and that maybe they can then start and begin to investigate this. There is that awkward moment that they see where maybe there's a third theory that they're not being let into,
0: that, you know, this case is so personal to him that there are things that he's holding back. So suddenly they, they're thrown onto this path. Marcus finally understands what the voices in Kenny's head that he'd been talking about for these past eight years mean, that it was the Mad Hatter that was controlling him at the time. Um, Mad Hatter's just pulled up in Arkham Asylum um, as a prisoner in there, or as, a, as an inmate, I guess.
1: Marcus Driver and Josie McDonald obviously head over there because this is suddenly it's a new lead in the investigation to the locker room bombing. They head over to, to interview Jervis Tetch, the Mad Hatter, we kind of get to tease out some of the the characteristics of of Jervis. This idea that really he's he's almost childlike. He and that's probably coming from the Mad Hatter of um, Alice in Wonderland. He relate more to children. He's more that childlike personality, mm. and he dislikes authority figures. The Doctor at Arkham Asylum goes, but he's a genius. He he isn't mentally
0: challenged. This doesn't make him mentally challenged. Yeah. He is a genius. I love I love the comment from Marcus Driver where he says, "Is he going to talk in rhyme to me? Because I don't really understand rhymes all the time." And he goes, "No, that would make him insane. He's not insane. He's not he's not completely crazy. Yeah. He is a genius. If he talks in rhyme, that's a defense mechanism that he uses." And
1: he also <laughs> says,
0: "If he does start to talk in rhyme, you've lost him. You're in trouble. Get out. Get out." Yeah, and in a way, to to me, this whole piece with Tetch... Uh, is kind of reminiscent of how uh, the, those kind of characters are handled by by Christopher Nolan in his films. It is quite a realistic version of the character. In the past, in comic books, the, the whole character of, of Matt Hatter has been, you know, a, a completely crazy character who can control someone's mind. It's a really, it's kind of a standard superpower you see in standard cartoons, almost kids' cartoons. Um, but this idea that this guy can get inside your mind and tell you, what he wants you to do and control you for the rest of your life essentially is what what happens to Kenny. That's a really fascinating way of, of twisting it and turns Tetch from a from a cartoon villain into almost a kind of a lector type of character. Yeah, it
1: has that feel of being with some guy who is ultimately a genius but you just don't relate to, you can't understand. Um and I think that's one of the things that you really get from the comic that Marcus Driver, Josie McDonald do not kind of feel comfortable around him and the... don't
0: understand him. Yeah, and she's certainly not wearing her bonnet or her fascinator and he's certainly not wearing his baseball cap around him. <laughs> That's <laughs> terrible. You're fascinating. Sorry, that you I, can, said that. <laughs> I can tell why you thought the earlier jokes were mine that was pretty poor. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: what happens then is they uh, obviously have the interview with Tech mm-hmm. They ask him, did he do it? And he essentially confesses. He says, they told me they were bad kids. I did it for them. And Driver and McDonald are kind of like going, well, who is it that asked you to do the contract killing? Mm-hmm. And they kind of stop suggesting who it might be. And they push us across the table a picture of the two uh, computer kids from the school who had been tortured by members of the baseball team, Mm -hmm. and he then suggests that this was them. They were the kids that had asked him to do this, Mm -hmm. and he had done it on their behalf.
0: Yeah, pretty much seems like an open and shut case here. It's pretty much he's just told them he did it, and he did it for the, the computer geeks, essentially. So obviously Marcus and Josie go off to interview these computer geeks who are now eight years on. They're now running a company, uh, essentially. They're both uh, essential managers in there. But they, they talk through the whole process with them, and there's a great little, uh, interaction between the two of them where Josie uses the awesome detect- detective skills that she has to realize something more to this. What, what else could it have been? And- they kind of got the connection to a, a little computer geek group that they set up when they were kids, which yeah, was led f- by Tetch and had, and had some other people involved. Eventually.
1: Yeah, and it's through their friend Connie, because mm-hmm. Tetch was boarding at her mom's um, boarding house, mm-hmm. and they would go and have this computer group down in the, in the basement of the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, Josie still has this element of doubt. It still seems a bit too convenient for her. And part of the panel... That comes after this is that Tetch goes back to his cell, he loosens off a brick from the wall and pulls out a phone to say the police are after you. At this moment in time, you would think that it is the Tran and Lyndon, the two computer kids. It becomes quite apparent uh, to Josie and to Driver that these aren't the guys. They refute it
0: all again, and these aren't the guys you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, taking taking on board what they've said. They they've said to said to go around to the to the house where the where this computer club was set up, for want of a better word, it's about yeah, to go and to go and try and, and to try and meet this other kid that was part of the part of the group. Why wasn't she involved? What's the deal behind her? I love they keep following up these leads because, you know, it looked like an open and shut case after the interview with Matt Hatter, but they're such good detectives, they're gonna keep tracking it down and making sure they've got all the right information in there and all the detail.
1: They're almost spurred on by the reputation of Harvey Bullock and using his gut, and they're using their gut a bit here. They still think there's more to the case, to the investigation, and still kind of push their investigation where maybe other police officers or detectives would have stopped.
0: Yeah, and kind of going back to Harvey, as you as you have brought him up, I suppose, he's taken another track while they're going down the track of the geeks and the track of, uh, of Mad Hatter. He's taken this to mean that... Actually, Matt Hatter must have been hired by somebody. He takes the gambling angle, essentially, and thinks that Matt Hatter was hired by Penguin, by Oswald Cobblepot. Yeah,
1: and it's, again, this huge clash of two massive personalities. Uh, But two massive personalities that are on an equal footing. Oswald Cobblepot here in Unresolved is a mobster, but he doesn't have superpowers. And Harvey Bullock feels that he can take him on that'll outside prob- of the law. Yeah, that'll man probably be the,
0: f- the fifth of whiskey he drinks before he goes up to the club. Yeah, that, that'll usually give you that extra sense that you're, uh, you're pretty powerful.
1: But he heads up to the Iceberg Lounge, confronts Penguin saying, you know, you are the one that caused this. You're the one that killed those kids. He essentially, for his trouble, gets arrested by his former employers, mm-hmm. uh, the GCPD, Yeah. And he gets put into a holding cell to, to cool off where he gets to meet Rene Montoya. Mm -hmm. And we find out about their connection previously from those great issues or story arcs of Half a Life. And this is a really kind of... It's like a little heart-to-heart, almost. Harvey Bullock style, (laughs) in a Mm -hmm. sense. It's not particularly heavy on the sentiment, but it works. And he's kind of saying, I see you were outed in Half a Life all these little references back to all the stories, and they're kind of just chatting. This this revelation comes about from their conversation that Harvey Bullock's essentially saved Rennie Montoya's job and reputation because he killed the guy who shot Jim Gordon mm-hmm. before she could get
0: to. Exactly.
1: But there's still that difference between her and Harvey Bullock that's teased out by uh, Ed Brubacker, the writer, which is... She looks at him and goes, but you were calculated about it. I was prepared to go down for the crime. Yeah. You wanted to get away, or sorry, you wanted to get out and have no suspicion on you. So you got the mob to do it for you yeah. on your behalf. You were calculated. I was prepared to take the hit for it. Yeah, and it's and essentially
0: that question of what makes him better than the better than the guys he's been arresting for 20, 30 years on the force, if he's willing to do something that one of them would do, whereas she's willing to just go, right, I fully admit this is a criminal act and I'm going to take the fall for it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. But yeah. it's a great few pages of of the book and it really brings together two really big characters from the series together. Mm-hmm. And, and the the interchange is really well handled. Absolutely. Um, and part of me really wants to see, because we know that, obviously, there's Harvey Bullock in Gotham mm-hmm. in this autumn, played by Donald Logue. There's also... René Montoya mm-hmm. uh, with Victoria Cartagena. So it'd be really interesting to see how these two characters interplay, whether there will be any of this type of interplay, yeah. whether yeah. she was made, used to be his partner before Jim Gordon comes along and mm-hmm. whether there's a bit of history there that they play out um, over the the season. Yeah. it would be really interesting to see, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I'm really hopeful that those characters become really central, the, the kind of peripheral characters that we know about uh, with, with Christmas Allen and with Renan Montoya, that they start coming in, becoming more central to the story along with Harvey Bullock and along with Jim Gordon. You, know, you can't make a series of 16 episodes without using your peripheral characters and bringing them in for big stories. This is a really good one, you know. This is a really good interplay between those two characters. I'd love to see how ran Matoya and, and Jim Gordon work together in the series. <laughs> We're going to see it really soon. Following up from their
1: interview with, the, with Lyndon and Trent, the two computer kids, and from their interview with Jervis Tetch, they then head over to Connie's place. Their friend Connie's mum's boarding house. Yeah. Her name is Ella Littleton. And they just start questioning about Tetch. He used to board the, you know, what was he like? And it was kind of like, you know, he was a quiet guy. He used to help the children in the computer group. The questioning that Driver and Josie have starts turns into Mrs. Littleton thinking that they're sort of insinuating that her daughter, Connie, was mixed up sexually with the the Mad Hatter. And, And she thinks it's disgraceful. You know, she says Tetch was a nice guy, a little weird, but he was a nice guy. Driver and MacDonald come out thinking, this lady's just a bit unhinged. Yeah. She's a bit weird. Crazy and old lady. In a sense, maybe kind of fits quite nicely um, with Tetch and why she thought he was such a nice guy. Yeah. And so, on. But they come out thinking, well, okay, that didn't really help us too much there. And then it kind of jumps back to Arkham Asylum. And it's one of these things where... Jervis Tetch is looking to have his breakout from Arkham. You suddenly see the importance of the the tag in the style ten over six because it helps mind control and Merv, one of the prison guards, has been controlled and helps get Mad Hatter broken out
0: of prison. But unfortunately, not very far. <laughs> I love this. You know, like you know, if you've got Arkham Asylum. You're gonna have a breakout, basically, you know, if you if you tell the story. So you wonder why or how they use Arkham Asylum so often. We've got two video games based on it. We've got um we've got countless books that are specifically written about Arkham Asylum. It's always a breakout. <laughs> why is it so why do they still use the place? Why is it not just boarded up and everybody's put into a metal sealed <laughs> container?
1: I don't know, but there's again some really good artwork and some good panels come in here where Merv and the Mad Hatter are essentially gunned down by the prison guards trying to stop them. At the same time, Driver and Josie are screaming for them to stand down Mm -hmm. and to not shoot. It's like, blam, 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 and the Mad Hatter is shot, but he's still breathing. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately,
0: poor Merv wasn't quite so lucky. Of course, he's not a (laughs) supervillain man, so he doesn't get to survive getting shot but they realize that Tetch isn't wearing his special mind-controlling hat, essentially, when he's, uh, when, he's yeah, taken top hat, yeah. Yeah, when he's taken out by the cops, and this is the only way that he would have been able to control Murph, so they suddenly realize somebody else is involved, but have no idea who it is. This whole story's been broadcast across the city. Um, exactly, yeah. and this then
1: leads to the final break in, in the case, because whilst Driver and McDonald's are racking their brains to find out, well, it's not Tetch, who else can it be? Is Harvey Bullock's gambling angle actually the the correct one? We've not even looked at that. Connie Littleton shows up. Because, as you say, it's been broadcast all over, and she goes, it's kind of like, oh my god, I think I know what's causing this. And goes into this whole backstory whereby that controlling crazy lady, Connie's mum, and Connie essentially is dating... She's wearing lipstick, but she has to do it all out of sight of her mum because her mum just thinks that she's trying to put herself out there, that she's of low morals, or, mm. of all of this. She's got the, these ideals that Connie, with the modern-day pressures or just being a kid, is trying to fit in. And she's doing this all outside of her mother's view. And she hooks up with, unfortunately, the star picture of the Hawks. Yeah, and yeah. he gets her pregnant. Mm-hmm. And she essentially kind of lies. So she's blaming all of what's happening on herself. Yeah. Because she said she got raped. Yeah. By, a, by a member, by of, a the member yeah. of the team. By a member of the team. And this sends her mum down the path of revenge. And she does it with her favourite border, which is Jervis Tetch. Mm-hmm. And his hat. And she is the one that controlled Kenny Brooker. She's the one that controlled Merv. She has the hat. And she's got his hat in a box, and she thinks that all these people deserve it. And she gets arrested then by Driver and Josie as they follow up yeah. on Connie's essential explanation and confession.
0: Yeah, and it, it's, I have to say, brilliant writing from Matt Brubacker. I was on the edge of my seat as to who's causing this. And then it gets to a point the point in the story when even the detectives who've been investigating the thing the whole time have no idea who's caused this. And you're kind of going, oh, well, where's, the, where's this story going to go? Only to be revealed that you actually did know. You knew that this was a person that was defending Tetch the whole time, even though he is a crazy man. Uh, you knew that Connie had a young had a young son, and she was one of the young kids that Tetch was dealing with when he was living in the house. Uh, you knew all this stuff in the peripheries, and really well written story to have all this set up, and you can't put the pieces together.
1: Yeah, it's gradually it comes into focus as more and more pieces. Uh, allow for the explanation, and it's
0: it's really good. And let's hope that Ed Brubecker gets to write an, an episode or two of uh, of Gotham over the years that it's going to be on TV.
1: Yeah, that'd be excellent. It really would. Yeah. But unfortunately, in the meantime, you get Harvey Bullock chasing down Penguin. Yeah. I and mean, essentially, what's He's... happened is it's almost like a descent into madness. This yeah. case has got him behaving bizarrely, crazily. He's got nothing to lose. It is a descent into madness. It's like
0: he's suddenly got this personal vendetta to take down, to make Penguin confess to something. Regardless of how much Penguin protests, Oswald Cobblebot is the person in Harvey Bullock's mind that that started this whole thing and created the disgustingly awful, horrible scene that he saw with the death of, of these kids uh, eight years before. And you get a real sense of
1: animosity between these two characters mm-hmm. Um, right at the end of this arc, and it's really really well put together, and you have Harvey Bullock holding Penguin hostage on the roof, kind of holding him off the side of the roof, he just really wants to kill him, and I'm really hoping considering you've got Harvey Bullock and you've got Oswald Cobblepot in Gotham, I'm really looking forward to see what Donald Logue and Robin Lord Taylor do, will there be this interplay of animosity between the two almost like a hatred well they kind of know one another too well they look in the mirror and it's a reflection of themselves i i don't know i wonder but it would be great if it was yeah like it,
0: it's almost it almost comes to this point again with the big villains of gotham it almost comes to that point if you're a police officer that keeps taking these guys down and they keep getting back out on the streets and you can't take them down for good would it turn your brain to thinking well just throw them off a building because at least that's them put down for good you know if you're a person like harvey bullock it looks like that's the case in this in this instance he's decided this is it i if i can't if i can't get all the evidence i need i'm no longer a cop i'll just do it take him out i know it's him that's all i need driver is at the end of this story he started being asked for
1: a hostage situation he ends up going up to sort out a hostage situation at the top of a building, mm-hmm. with this time with Harvey Bullock and Penguin. Him and Josie manage to stop Harvey Bullock from blowing the Penguin's brains out. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you see the toll that this case has had on Harvey Bullock and just his forced retirement from the police as a detective, the fact he's drinking, Early in the day, and he tries to kill himself, and mm. he is saved by Driver and Josie, saying, "Look, there's Batman."
0: Yeah.
1: It comes again to Batman. Batman's been not mentioned once in this whole arc, uh-huh. and he suddenly he's there. He saves the day just by being mentioned. Exactly. Which is really reckon. interesting. And it all comes full circle as well. It's a bit of a. This is a bit of Marcus Driver's rehabilitation mm. um, story as well. Because he gets the call back from uh, Romy Chandler. And she explains why she's been avoiding him, about it being Melina, and all of the things to do with her book signing, and the fact that her former partner, her lover, was killed, Nate Patton. But it's a really interesting coming together, because both of these detectives, both have had partners that have died, where the Batman was involved, mm-hmm. or didn't do enough to save them. And this is their common thread. This is where they understand and empathize with one another. And that kind of brings this arc to a close. It's a really, really good end to a really good arc, I think. I think it's definitely there with soft targets Mm -hmm. and half a life to some extent. For me, the standout is just being
0: introduced to Harvey Bullock. Absolutely, really is. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think I think uh, the Harvey Bullock sections of the book are really, really good. The uh, the Romy Chandler, as I said, that uh, I think that's uh, it should go down in history. That's how you tell a story in five panels, no words, and just a well drawn uh, section. It's obviously been scoped out by by Ed Brubaker as to what he wanted on the page, but Michael Lark came in and drew the the panels to. I suppose, to not need any dialogue to explain to you what's happening and what's going on between these two characters that have, that have such animosity between each other. Um, yeah, I think that's a fantastic yeah. piece. It, uh, yeah, And I think finally for me as well, it is that
1: Mad Hatter is one of those characters, one of those villains that you don't see that often. Mm. Um, I know he was in one, the last Arkham yeah. computer game, mm-hmm. but you don't see him that often. So it's quite nice to see him crop up in one of the stories and have this kind of role gets almost um realized in a in a way that makes him very believable mm. part of sort of almost like a Nolan-esque type of of verse. And I think it's something that you had said as well, which is really interesting, is that he potentially could be involved in Gotham yeah. without needing any kind of backstory. Mm. He could be there as a, a villain, a criminal operating in Gotham as a standalone, almost mm-hmm. it could be really an
0: interesting villain to use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, you don't have to reference him as the Mad Hatter. It's a bit of a hokey name, you know. It's a cartoony kind of name. You you definitely reference reference that he can convince people to do what he wants them to do. You don't have to use the mind controlling hash, which is a bit awkward <laughs> to get into a, a realistic show. But but yeah, I like the I love I love how the trailer. I love what that Brubacker has done in this uh, in this particular arc. And it makes me, once again, even more excited to delve back into the next uh, the next arcs of, uh, of Gotham Central.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think on this note, we'd like to thank everyone who's listened. Um, we've really enjoyed this arc. And so I would probably give it four Mad Hatter hats out <laughs> of five for simply having a great Harvey Bullock story there, introducing the Mad Hatter himself, having Marcus Driver again appear. He's one of my favorite characters mm. yeah, from the series. It's a really good and well thought out arc, and I, and I like the arcs in this series now that are about four or five uh, issues or of the comic.
0: Yeah, definitely, it seems to be just about the right point to to uh, kind of cover a good a good arc and get some good details about the characters. Um, yeah, there's some fantastic stuff in here. I've mentioned the the bits I liked. I think the uh, the whole scene between uh Rena Montoya and Harvey Bullock is fantastic. I love Oswald Cobblepot and. and uh, and Harvey Bullock's animosity. Particularly I think it's it's well worth the read just for those characters that are gonna be in the Gotham TV show. This particularly is a is a set of issues that you definitely should be picking up. And um, I'm probably Aaron, with you, John, I'm probably close to about you know, three and a half through to four, so saying I mean, three point seven five is what that is, right? Yeah, um It's so recommend. Uh, definitely recommend and definitely recommended this this entire series so far has been great. So over the next couple of weeks there's lots of stuff going on. So till the end of July probably Yeah so our
1: next Gotham Central Episode, and we don't kind of quite know when that will be because of a big convention that will be happening on the west coast of America. Mm -hmm. But our next Gotham Central episode will involve issues 23 to 27, it will involve three story arcs. Corrigan, Lights Out, and On the Freak Beat. Yeah. Uh, lights Out is only one issue, and so that's why we're kind of lumping about
0: five issues here together. So we'll look at those. Just, then... And just so you know, if you're reading along, that's pretty much the, uh, the third volume of the uh, of the collected version of, uh, of um, Gotham Central. That's that's pretty much takes us up to the end of the third volume. And then
1: there will be Comic-Con 2014, mm-hmm. and we intend to have a few podcasts. And then, of course... It's Comic Con 2014 in about two weeks' time when we hope to have a few podcasts out, a few smaller podcasts, specifically on the DC Warner Brothers big panel, where all four of the DC TV shows are going to be Flash,
0: Arrow, Constantine, and of course, Gotham. Yeah, full Uh, premiere pilot is going to be there. There's obviously the whole night dedicated to them. There's going to be a panel, hopefully. And, you know, we covered DC Connected Universe. There's, there's no doubt that we're going to see some news about, about Superman uh, v. Batman, or Batman exactly. v. Superman. Some, there's going to be something there, whether it be just the Batmobile is going to be on show, apparently, is one of the rumors, or whether it be the full cast of the Justice League or brought out on stage like the Avengers did with the, with the launch of the Avengers at Comic-Con. There's loads of news to cover. And hopefully as well,
1: then, we're going to have a podcast with some guests. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully it will work. Hopefully, technically, we're <laughs> up to the
0: challenge. <laughs> Yep. So uh, loads of stuff to come. Um, obviously feedback is always welcome from you guys, and uh, and obviously you know that we we take feedback from anywhere. It's it's great to hear criteria uh, feedback on Twitter. There's loads of stuff going on now that the TV show has been announced for the broadcast date. There's loads of stuff going on on Facebook and in our group and and all across all the channels over there. There's loads of stuff going on on Google Plus. Follow us, whatever you want to. You can always email us every every time you want to just pop down an email and send it to uh, Gotham TV Podcast at gmail.com. Search for us on all those social media sites that got them TV Podcast. Sometimes in the space, mostly just the one word, them TV Podcast. Yeah, you can
1: check out the website. Check out Flickr mm-hmm. uh, now. We have put up some new photos, the official photos that were from Entertainment Weekly. Mm-hmm. There's certainly new cover art coming for TV guys in the US. We'll hopefully try and get some images of those and put them up on Flickr. There's some really good
0: cover art being developed for this show, which you would expect. And last of all, we haven't got any callers yet. We're at episode 10. We haven't got any callers that want to leave voicemails for us. So you can leave a voicemail for us on Skype. Or if you want it, you can always record uh, on your own computer at home and and pop an old... uh, pop an old recording in an email to us to GothamTVPodcast.gmail.com and we will play uh, any appropriate recordings, let's say. <laughs>
1: so with that, I think it's really to say thanks for listening again and mm-hmm. we can't wait to be back to, to podcast to Gothamites. And
0: episode 10? Episode 10. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. However dark and scary the world might be right now, it will be light.
1: There will be light books. Oops. Yeah, we received brought... Yeah, we received some uh, feedback from uh, one of our Twitter followers. <laughs> Twitter Twitter <laughs> uh, Tweet, Um well just... Oops.
0: So what Dan is saying on on, uh, on one of our threads on um on one one of our threads on Facebook yeah.
1: My Facebook! <laughs> Oops. And what we find is we're thrown immediately into a hostage... <laughs> Oops.
0: But despite wanting to keep the case to himself and keep working on it himself... It's the case of whiskey, isn't it? <laughs> no, the case of... <laughs> Vodka.
1: Oops. Formerly Superman, formerly um, working for... DC Warner Brothers is going to return for the DC Warner Brothers and obviously CW network with regards to the Atom yeah. in
0: Flash. It's going to be playing yeah, it's quite oh. interesting. As well.
1: In Arrow. No, it's in Flash. Is going to play yeah. the Atom in Arrow. Is going to play the Atom in Flash. Is going to play the Arrow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We really should have checked this news story. Oops.